I've shared uh, this with you before. There's, there's a good movie about Jesus. Actually, it's the only movie about Jesus that I like. Um, I think the rest of them are terrible. This one is, um, this one is I have to say, tolerable. Uh, and actually, there's some pretty good scenes in it. You know, you just can't capture the God-man on film. It's not going to happen. Uh, and oftentimes, when they try, it just comes off, to me, bad. But there's a couple of scenes in Franco Zeffirelli's movie entitled Jesus of Nazareth. This is quite an old movie. It's about five or six hours long. Uh, how many of you have ever seen this movie? Um, it's worth your time. Uh, Karen and I used to watch it every Easter, and then we got to the point where we knew every word <laughs> by heart, so um, we don't watch it anymore on Easter. But um, So... There's a scene in there. You know, Andrew and John are the first disciples. And uh, Andrew goes to his brother Peter. And obviously there's a conversation. Now this is not in the Bible. We don't have this conversation between Andrew and Peter about following Christ. Uh, but the, the movie with a little creative license uh, I think does a pretty good job of bringing it to us, bringing it alive. Um, Andrew says to Peter, We have found the Messiah. And Peter says, Andrew, I'm not like you. <laughs> he says, I'm not a follower of priests and prophets. I'm a fisherman. He says, I have a family to think of. You followed the Baptist, now follow this one. Leave me alone. This is my life right here. My nets, my boat. So you go and you follow Jesus, but leave me alone. This is where I am belong. Then that night, Jesus is teaching on the prodigal son, and Peter is greatly moved, as am I. I cry every time that scene comes on. Peter is greatly moved. The next day, Peter is taking Jesus and his handful of disciples across the Sea of Galilee, and they hit the other shore. Jesus jumps out, the other disciples jump out, and Peter's standing on his boat. And so, Matthew jumps out. He looks back at Peter. Their eyes meet. Then Matthew turns and he follows Christ. And Peter's standing on his boat. And he looks at his boat. And then he looks at Jesus. And then he looks at his boat. And then he looks at Jesus. You guys know what he decides. But we'll come back to that in a few minutes. So, our last sermon last week... I was filled with wonder, awestruck wonder. I am still thanking God that I get to worship Jesus Christ. It is my maximum, highest pleasure that I have ever experienced to know Christ, to walk with Christ, to fellowship with Christ. I get to worship Christ. It's what we talked about last week. I hope some of you maybe took some time this week to contemplate the fact that you get to worship Jesus. It's an awesome privilege that neither you nor I deserve. We were rebels. We were sinners with a high hand. Um, he should not have saved me. I'll put it that way. He should not have saved me. I had cursed Him. I had blasphemed Him. I had engaged in phony worship. 
I was a blasphemer. But the Lord had mercy. The Lord had mercy on my soul. It is a privilege to worship Him. It is not a privilege I deserved. Genesis 1.26 tells us that we are made in God's image and in His likeness. There's always a lot of debate about exactly what does this mean. It's not that hard. We simply are like God in the sense that we are self-aware. We are moral beings. We are intellectual beings, emotional beings, spiritual beings, capable of being in a relationship with our Creator. We talked some about this last week. We, are, we were designed for God. We are designed for eternity. Ecclesiastes 3.11, we've been visiting this in our young adult Bible study. We keep going back to this uh, pivotal verse in Ecclesiastes. God has put eternity in the heart of man and there's nothing that can satisfy mankind but God Himself. We were made for forever and we have been infused with infinite, infinite desire and only Jesus Christ can satisfy that desire. We will be swallowed up in God's grandeur forever and ever and ever and ever. We will be lost in, as John Piper talks about, and I think is a great thing to think about, uh, many of you probably have never thought about this, being lost in self-forgetfulness. Aren't those beautiful moments when you are so engaged in whatever you're engaged in, that there's just complete self-forgetfulness. I think it will be that way, obviously, probably every nanosecond that we are in the presence of Christ. Last week, we borrowed uh, John Piper, American preacher. We borrowed his uh, uh, definition of worship. It was this, the inner treasuring of Jesus as the highest value in the universe from which proceed acts of obedience, faith, devotion, and love. Pretty good definition of worship. Does anyone remember what we added to it? We changed it just a little bit. Instead of being the highest value, we talked about Jesus being what? Anybody remember? Nobody remembers. Okay. Got to continue to work on my communication skills. Um, Piper's right. He is the highest value in the universe, but he's something else for the true believer. What is he? He's the highest pleasure in the universe. Thank you, Josh. He is the highest pleasure in the universe. This is why Christians do what Christians do. <laughs> because it's not simply that He's God and I should worship Him. He's God and He's communicated Himself to me. He's God and I've learned to enjoy Him. And because I enjoy Him, of course I will obey Him. This is what drives Christianity. You know? <laughs> Joy! Joy in God! It's what drives Christianity. Of course, He's the highest value in the universe. He is also the greatest pleasure. Through the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit, we talked about this last week, we are born again. It's what God has done. 1 Peter 1.3 He's caused us to be born again and we like Lazarus, of course, we come out of death and we enter into life. We breathe spiritually for the first time and we are full of 
wonder, awestruck wonder. We have met our Creator. We've met our Redeemer. And as I always say, everything has changed. There's not one thing that hasn't changed as we have come into relationship with Jesus Christ. We immediately recognize that He is not only the highest value in the universe, He is the consummate pleasure in the universe. We instinctively know that He is the ultimate answer to the question, why am I here? Why am I here? Why do I exist at all? We touched on this a little bit last week. But why am I here? Why does Jim Albright exist? Why is my brain firing? Why is my heart pumping? What's this all about? Well, it's about Jesus. We intuitively know Jesus is the answer to every serious question that we have ever asked. <laughs> when we meet Him, we understand. We understand. He's the answer. It doesn't really matter what the question is. It really doesn't matter what the question is. <laughs> He's the answer. And I'm not talking about flippant questions or pseudo-questions or stupid questions. I'm talking about the meaning of life kind of questions. Jesus Christ is the answer. And so we get what Paul says. Philippians 1.21, maybe my favorite verse in the Bible. Philippians 1.21, who knows it? What does it say? Philippians 1.21, someone tell me. You, you should know this verse. At least the, the, really core, the, the core part of the verse, to live as Christ, what? To live as Christ, to die as gain. To live as Christ, to die as gain. And of course, the true believer gets it. <laughs> we can't imagine living any other way, right? To live as Christ, to die as gain. We could not fathom living any other way than knowing that that is true. Hey, brother, come on in. Come on in. Um, it's what God said to Abraham. It's, it's one of my favorite. It's my favorite. Uh, one of my favorite verses in the Old Testament. You remember what God said to Abraham? Of course, God made a lot of promises to Abraham, right? But what was the best thing God ever said to Abraham? It's in the King James version. It's not. Uh, so clear in some of the other translations, but I love the way the King James and the New King James translates Genesis 15.1. God says what? I am your reward. <laughs> God says, I'm your reward. Now, come on, how can you not get jazzed about that, right? I know you're out in the world and you get jazzed about X, Y, or Z. Oh, this happened. This person loves me. That person gives me a claim. I mean, there's, there's so many things that we get excited about in the world. But does anything compare to the fact that God's our reward? God is our reward? I mean, I know you have hard days. I have hard days. There are days that are difficult. But God's my reward. God's my reward. That's never not going to be true. It's always going to be true. It's never not going to be true. Every day I get up, God is my reward. Whether I get sawn into or not. God is my reward. Right? Do you, do you understand how much... I always tell you this, but do you know how much license you have? How much freedom you have? How much power you have? It doesn't matter what men do to you. It doesn't matter what men say about you. It doesn't matter what befalls you. God is your reward. You get to worship Jesus. Oh, and you get to walk with Him too. Uh, 
It doesn't get any better for a human being. That's all I'm trying to say to you. This is what's been on my heart and my mind for the last couple of weeks. Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it what? Abundantly. And when you do a word study on that Greek word translated abundantly, one of the, one of the phrases there, it caught my... If you've read the book, it's in the book, but it caught my imagination. Uh, it says, Jesus is giving us a more than necessary kind of life. Don't you love it? A more than necessary kind of life. You know, we're not just trying to get by and make it to the end of the day. And, and uh, I mean, we're living for big things, huge things, important things, eternally important things. That's who we are, right? We're not just waiting to die. We're learning to live. We're learning to live in the power of Christ. So we have this abundant life that God has given us. And so to live is Christ, to die is gain. 2 Corinthians 5.8, Paul tells us to be absent in the body is to be home with the Lord. So to live is Christ. If I live, I, I, I serve the Lord. My principal purpose, of course I have subordinate issues that I have to deal with, but my principal reason for walking the planet is to make much of Jesus, is to be a witness for Christ. So to live is Christ, but to die is gain. I get to go home and be with the Lord. That's why I read Psalm 1611. David says, how does he say it? To die is to be in the presence of God where there is fullness of joy and pleasures forever. To live as Christ, to die as gain. It's a win-win situation. It's a win-win situation. You know, people used to ask me, well, what one thing, do you, I've probably shared this with you before, what one thing do you want to do before you die? And I always used to say, I want to preach one more time. But I don't say it anymore because I think it diminishes Christ to say that there's one thing on this planet I would rather do than to be in His presence. I think... In a backhanded way, it diminishes his, his glory. For me to say there's anything on this planet I would rather do or be or see before I get to be in the presence of God, I think it brings God down. Uh, I'm very careful about that anymore. Uh, yeah, to live as Christ, to die is gain. And you remember what Paul says. He says, man, Philippians 1, 23-24 says, I'm hard-pressed from both directions. I have a desire to depart and be with Jesus, for that is what? Someone tell me. Very much better! Right? Is this how you think? It's very much better to be with Jesus. That's the reason I love to do a funeral of, of a believer. I love it! It's awesome! Yeah, I may shed a tear or two, but it's great! It's good for them! It's very much better for them. Paul continues, yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. He's talking to the Philippians. He said, I'll stay here for your sake. I'll stay here and serve you. That's the only reason I'll stay here. The only reason I want to stay on the planet is to serve you for the glory of Christ. That's the only reason I want to remain on the planet. Otherwise, I would rather go and be with Christ. Beloved, we should feel this tension. I mean, we should kind of understand this tension. If we don't understand what Paul's saying there, I think we need to maybe spend some quiet time with the Lord because we should understand this kind of tension. Or we haven't truly understood the greatness of God. We haven't even begun to apprehend what it might be like to be in the very presence of the living Creator God. Um, it's, uh, 
<laughs> Paul says, I'm hard-pressed. I'm just going to ask you, are you hard-pressed? I don't meet very many hard-pressed people. And I have to say, on my average day, I'm probably not very hard-pressed either. I need to be more hard-pressed. I think it would affect the way I live, the way I think, the way I live, the things I say, to consciously be more hard-pressed. So I want to show you from Scripture, briefly tonight, that this is what it's always that issue in the lives of true believers. God is gain. God is infinite gain. Whether we live, whether we die, God is gain. It's what you see all the way from Old Testament to New Testament. God is gain. You see it in their life. They don't even have to say it. It's incarnate in their life. God is gain. People should look at my life and say, well, I can see the way Jim lives that God is gain. Can people tell that Jesus is gain by the way you live? <laughs> uh, I think that's something we should think about. Again, it doesn't matter if we live or die. The living and the dying, that's always God's business. God gives life. God takes life. It's what He does. We don't have anything to say about it. It's not our business. Our business is to give a witness from our conviction that Jesus is the highest value in the cosmos and from our experience that Jesus is the greatest pleasure in the cosmos, acts of obedience, faith, devotion, and love overflow into our lives. We get to worship Jesus and we get to obey Jesus. As we talked about last week, uh, Jesus is the greatest pleasure in the cosmos. Worship is the capstone or consummation of our enjoyment of God. We come here simply because we enjoy God. We enjoy singing to God. We enjoy fellowshipping with the people of God. We enjoy, uh, we, we enjoy the, the Word of God being preached. You know, I didn't invent preaching. The church didn't invent preaching. God invented preaching. God does something in preaching that He doesn't do in any other venue or vehicle. All I'm saying is, there's a reason God has... Uh, a, uh, appointed and called preachers. He delights in using preaching. You know, I know that much of the modern church, they want to do other things and they want to put on drama and they want to put on shows and some of these things are fine in their own context. But God has ordained preaching to change the lives of His people. It's what God has ordained. The church didn't do it. God. God did it. So the outworking of worship Worship is the consummation of enjoyment. And then I want to take it to the next step. Tonight we see that obedience is the consummation of worship. So we come into relationship with God, we're enjoying God, and we can't help it. We've got to worship God, man. I've got to worship God. I, I, and again, it's not simply when we come to the church. That's not, that's not the point I was making previously. It's not simply in church. Our whole life becomes worship. Because our whole life becomes about obedience. albeit imperfect obedience. None of us have arrived. None of us will arrive until we are in the presence of Jesus Himself. But born-again Christians get to worship and we get to obey. It's what we see on the pages of Scripture. 
men and women knowing that God is the highest value in the cosmos and men and women experiencing that God is the greatest pleasure in the cosmos. And I'm just going to start Matthew 13.44. Most of you are familiar with this verse. I've used it many, many times. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like what? It's like a, a treasure hidden in the field. And what happens? What happens? Which a man found and what? From duty, from obligation, because he felt like he ought to. Now, what, what does the text say? He found a treasure in the field, which is metaphorically, that's Jesus. And what does he do? From joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has to have the field. He must have God. He must have Jesus. I must have Christ. At any and all expense, I must have Christ. And he does it from duty. No, he does it from someone tell me. Joy. Goes back to what we talked about last week. Jesus is the highest value in the universe. <laughs> he is the highest pleasure in the universe. And true Christianity, biblical Christianity, born again Christianity, is always driven by this. It's always driven by enjoyment, the enjoyment of God and the joy of knowing God. It is what the Bible reveals. So I'll ask you, where's your treasure? Where's your heart? You know, Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So let me just stop and ask you, you do a self-examination. Where is your heart? Is it with Jesus? Or have you set your heart on some temporal thing? Conversion is always in the affections. It's always in the affections. Jesus will be your principal affection. It won't be um, your career. It won't be your success. It won't be your fame. It won't even be your family or your spouse or your kids. Your first affection will be Christ. And as I've told you so many times, when you when you have that right, then you really know how to love your spouse and your kids and your brothers and sisters that are around you. So I'm just going to look at this, a few examples from the Bible. We're going to look at Abraham first. Why does Abraham leave his home? Why does a middle-aged guy leave his home, his country, and his relatives, pack up his family, and make a dangerous journey to some place he doesn't know anything about? What kind of... Man would do that. Why would a right-thinking man do that? Why? Because he ought to? I don't think so. <laughs> Why does he do it? He's met God. He's met God. Abraham was found by his treasure. And Abraham has found his greatest pleasure he not only gets to worship God, he gets to walk with Him. And that's really what obedience is, right? So, if you're a believer tonight, if you're born again tonight, you not only get to worship Jesus Christ, you get to walk with Jesus Christ. It's the highest privilege afforded to, to a human being. 
Hebrews 11, 13-16 tells us that Abraham died in faith without receiving all of the promises. But having seen them from a distance, confessed that he was a stranger and an exile upon the earth, he desired a better country that is a heavenly one. He wasn't, Abraham wasn't consumed with temporal blessing. He had his eye fixed on eternal blessing. His name is Jesus Christ. You know, a lot of people are trying to keep score with God. Well, I don't have as much as they have, or I didn't get the blessing they got, or Abraham was rich and I'm not. And I, you know, people are trying to keep ledgers with God. I think this is, I have to tell you, I think this is, uh, well, it's just wrong. I could use a stronger word, but it's just wrong. Why are you trying to keep score with God? <laughs> if you're still trying to keep score with God, and <clears throat> I hope that's not the case for anybody in this room, but. You know, Abraham, he was more interested than in the eternal rewards. It's like Hebrews 11 says, he, he, he didn't even get all the promises. And he wasn't worried about that. God's his reward. He's not worried about, if, well, do I get it now or do I get it later? As the prosperity gospel so grossly perverts. This wasn't even Abraham's concern. Abraham's concern was heaven and being with the one who is in heaven. Even when God called Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, you remember Genesis 22? And then Abraham decided, well, I'm going to have to debate this out with God. I'm going to have to question God about this because I don't understand this is a mysterious command and I acknowledge it. It's a mysterious command that God would call Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. God had given Isaac to Abraham and Sarah who, who were barren and unable to have children. But what did Abraham, don't you love this text? What did Abraham do when God said, go sacrifice your son? Do you remember the very first thing, the next thing it says? He arose early the next day and set out for Mount Moriah. <laughs> How does a man obey God like this? It's because God is his highest treasure and God is his greatest pleasure. He doesn't always have to understand what God is doing as long as he's walking with God. I think it's a beautiful, beautiful picture. I think it's a beautiful picture. The true believer's mindset is this. If God calls me to hard obedience, and some of you probably will be called to hard obedience, costly obedience, risky obedience, it will cost you something to obey Jesus. I'm fond of saying that you know, the, the greatest risk that many so-called Christians make anymore, modern Christians, is the drive to church. You know, They might have an accident or something. That's about the greatest risk that many take. But some of you in this room may be called to sacrifice for Christ. But here's the mindset of the true believer. If I don't go with God, if I don't obey God, I lose. I lose. I hope you have this, I hope you understand. If, if you don't obey God, God doesn't lose. You know, God doesn't need you for His kingdom work. He'll just, he'll just use somebody else. God will get His work done. God doesn't need you but you need to obey Him. <laughs> you need to. Because He's your highest pleasure. You lose! What does John 14.21 say? It's the, maybe the verse that comes off out of this pulpit most frequently. 
Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments and I will disclose myself to you. The, the, the true believer understands, the, mat, the, the maturing believer understands that in obedience, God gives Himself. In obedience, God gives Himself in a new way. In obedience, God discloses Himself. He manifests Himself. He shows Himself. He reveals Himself to the believer who's engaged in obedience. What I'm trying to say is, in obedience, we get disclosure. Many of you already know that. I hope you're already addicted to it. I hope you are addicted to it. Radical obedience that yields up disclosure from God. It's John Piper's, you know, one of his mantras. What is a Christian hedonist? Someone tell me, what, a, what is a Christian hedonist? What does it sound like to you? We know what a Christian is, right? What is a hedonist? Someone who seeks what? Pleasure? So a Christian hedonist would be a Christian who is seeking his pleasure in God. I pray that you're a Christian hedonist. I pray that your Christian hedonism drives you every single day. I pray that it impacts every single day of your life. You understand that God is your highest pleasure and you are pursuing and seeking that pleasure to grow that pleasure. And the way to grow that pleasure is time spent with Him and, and obedience. This is how we grow the pleasure of knowing the Lord. I've shared this quote with you many times. Uh, Francis Chan he says, something's wrong when our lives make sense to unbelievers. I love that quote. I think it's the best quote in that book, Crazy Love. We studied it in young adult class several years ago. Something's wrong when our lives make sense to unbelievers. How could our life make sense to an unbeliever if we're truly delighting in God? And so just another example, I thought of Daniel, Shadrach, and Meshach in Abednego. You remember that, uh, and I'm in Daniel chapter 3, verses 12 through 25. You remember that. Nebuchadnezzar erected a golden image and demanded that all would bow down to it. Of course, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I'm going to call them the boys just for the sake of brevity. He re they refused and Nebuchadnezzar said, if you refuse, you'll be cast into the fiery furnace. And you'll remember what the boys said to Nebuchadnezzar. They said, O king, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from this furnace, but even if he doesn't, we will not bow down to your golden image. God was their treasure. God was their pleasure. No way I'm going to worship your crummy God. Right? I love this. And then, that, that account, it illustrates John 14, 21. That we get disclosure. What happened? He threw three guys in the fire, and then what happened? The court saw, the king's court saw, how many guys in the fire? Oh, four guys are in there. Well, where did the fourth guy come from? Who's the fourth guy? Well, most theologians would say it's pre-incarnate Christ. Do you see the disclosure thing? This is a perfect illustration. Disclosure, bam! Radical obedience. You can kill us. It doesn't matter. God is my treasure. God is my pleasure. Kill us if you want. And I know our God can deliver us, but even if God doesn't deliver us, it doesn't matter to us. He's still our treasure. He's still our pleasure. Don't you love that? Isn't that a powerful testimony? Can you own that for yourself? Well, they see the four guys in there. <laughs> and Nebuchadnezzar says, one has the appearance as the Son of God. 
Yes, of course He did. Jesus is with His people. Same is true of Stephen over in the New Testament. You know, Stephen, he actually was martyred. Stephen was martyred. He was stoned to death. But, but who was with him in the, in, the, in the martyrdom? Who was with him? Do you remember the account? Who was with him in the martyrdom? Well, Paul was there. That's right. Paul was holding the cloaks as he was stoned to death. But even more importantly, Jesus was there. Don't you remember the heavens opened? And Stephen saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Do you see the disclosure thing? And whether, even if your obedience is as small as <clears throat> uh, an act of kindness to your pastor, <laughs> uh, to one degree or another, there's disclosure in that. I'm addicted to obedience not because I'm a good Christian. I'm addicted to obedience because God is a good God. That's why I'm addicted to obedience. I fail. And I've got miles to go. But I am addicted. I am addicted because He is a good God. Remember Daniel. Daniel was thrown into the lion's den because they told him not to pray anymore and he went up on his rooftop chamber and he prayed and they, they saw him pray and then the king was, was forced to throw him into the lion's den and what happened? Oh, the angel of the Lord kept the lions from... <laughs> Are you getting the point here? We get to worship Christ. We get to obey Christ. And in obeying Christ, we get more of Christ. It never doesn't happen. You say, Jim, I don't have a lot of Jesus in my life. It's on you. I'm sorry. I lovingly say it's on you because if you'll obey the Lord in wherever He's calling you to, you know, I don't know where your, your, your hard spot is and I don't know what God is challenging you to right now. But what I am saying to you lovingly is obey Christ in it. You can never go wrong in obedience you know, if you're going to make an error, make an error in obedience. Make an error to faith. I'm just going to believe God. If you're going to make an error, make that error. New Testament example, real quick. You guys remember Zacchaeus, right? Zacchaeus, uh, Luke 19, Zacchaeus. Luke 19, verse 2, Zacchaeus... Uh, he was a chief tax collector. He was rich. You know, the only reason a Jew would collect taxes for the Romans would be that he had absolutely no concern for the good opinion of his countrymen. He was greedy. He just wanted the money. Luke 19, verse 5. Uh, Zacchaeus' treasure finds him sitting in a sycamore tree. Jesus says, come down and let's eat at your house. Zacchaeus hurries and receives the Lord gladly. That's verse 6. Verse 8. Zacchaeus knows... Uh, what the man in our parable knows, he knows that everything has just changed. Zacchaeus has found his real treasure. His name is Jesus. He is greedy no more. Verse 9, Jesus says, Today salvation has come to this house. Why has salvation come to this house? Because Zacchaeus, by his deeds, he says, Whatever I have defrauded, I will give back multiple times, and I will give half of my wealth to the poor. This man's heart had changed. He had a new treasure and a new pleasure and you could see it in his life. And that's, that's all I'm saying to you tonight. One, I hope that you have experienced this, the utter joy of a true knowing Christ in the way that He is your true pleasure and He is your true treasure. And then I hope you are incarnating that. 
One, one last one. Paul, the Apostle Paul. <clears throat> he found his treasure on the way to Damascus. He was on religious business. He was going to go arrest and persecute some Christians. Then God showed up. And we know that Paul was at the top of the food chain in Jerusalem. He was a perfect Jew, circumcised on the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the law. Again, he was blameless. But listen to him. This is the text that Blessing read. I'm going to reread it. Philippians 3, 7, 8. He was on his way to persecute Christians. But he met Jesus Christ. Paul says, But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Jesus. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. The most important thing to Paul was to be a perfect Jew. Now he doesn't care at all about that. He just, wants to, he just wants more Jesus, right? And you know it was expensive for Paul to walk with Jesus. Briefly, 2 Corinthians 11, 23-27. Paul says, I've been in prison, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the cities. Dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. But he got to worship Jesus. <laughs> you understand? And he got to obey Jesus. And because those things were true, he was getting disclosure from Jesus. Beat me if you want, I get disclosure. Shun me if you want, I get disclosure. Ridicule me if you want, I get disclosure. I get disclosure. John 14, 21 changed my life. At a critical time, I got fired because of that verse. And it was great. And uh, I hope maybe you'll consider the verse and think deeply about it and how it might impact your own life. So we left Peter standing on his boat, looking at his boat, looking at Jesus. What's he going to do? Does anybody know what he does? It's a great mystery. What does Peter do? Oh, <laughs> he looks back to his son. And he says, take her back to Capernaum. And he jumps off his boat and he goes with Jesus. You know, it's just what believers do. Believers go with Jesus. They just do it. They don't always understand it, but they know that He is their greatest treasure and He is their highest pleasure. Even if it's hard. Even if it's costly. So my point tonight is we get to worship. We get to obey. <clears throat> and we get disclosure. I pray this is going on in your life. If it's not going on in your life, I'll just challenge you. If this dimension of your life is not 
vibrant and real. I'm just going to challenge you. Get alone with God and talk to Him about it. Sort it out with Him. Sort it out with Him. He'll be happy to meet with you about that. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid again. And from joy over it, he goes and he sells all that he has. And he buys that field. It's Christian hedonism. I pray, I pray that that is true for you. That you have found your joy in Christ. That He is indeed your treasure. He is indeed your pleasure. And you're not obeying Him because you think you ought and you should. You're obeying Him because disclosure happens. Disclosure never doesn't happen. (laughs) It's addicting. I hope you all become addicts. If you're not an addict already, I want you to become an addict. On the pleasure that is walking with Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord, these are awesome things. These are breathtaking things. I pray that it would be real for each of us in this room. If that's not going on in our life, Lord, help us. Show us our error. Show us our distraction. Show us where we've compromised. Show us where we've rationalized. Lord, life's just too short. It's too short. It's too short to live small. Help us, Father. Every one of us in this room are dealing with sin to one degree or another. Help us, Lord. Help us to move on. Help us to move on in our sanctification. Whatever sin is in front of us, tonight, and it may be different for everybody in this room, Lord God, help us put it down. Help us put it down. That we would have a more unencumbered view of our treasure and our pleasure. For we confess tonight that You are both. You are both. We love You, King Jesus. Thank You for this Word. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Shall I? Yeah, listen, listen.